Before we start today's episode, I want to give a few words to one of our sponsors, which is Stutterbox Productions. If you're looking for a solid team of people to get you started with your next gig or event, this is the company contact. They're actually bringing back Field Trip in September 16th and 17th, and they have plenty more shows lined up. Uh, if you guys have not been to Field Trip, that is a blast. Legendary. Um, one of the top shows to go to in Iowa. Um, so what are you waiting for? Head over to Starbox Productions' Facebook page for all of your needs today. Gorilla Graphics Design Agency. If you want to plan your next video or project, Gorilla Graphics Design Agency can provide you with a clean and fresh-looking product. Uh, having personally collaborated with this company several times myself, I can say from experience they know their shit, and working with them has been worth every penny. Head over to GorillaGraphics.com for all of your design needs today. That's G-U-E-R-R-I-L-L-A-G-R-F-X.com. You're watching slash listening to the McAllister Hours. I'm your host, Cole McAllister. Um, very honored today. We're joined, uh, Grace, with the presence of uh, Rick Stewart, the uh, candidate for uh, Governor in Iowa for the Libertarian Party. How are you doing today, man? Uh, pretty good. Uh, glad to be out in this uh, nice chilly April. What is it, fifteenth or something? <laughs> yeah, Halfway yeah. Halfway through the April. month, and I, I don't I haven't seen any flowers yet. I guess they come next month. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm I'm waiting for the. Um, the good weather to come back, you know. I, I, I got some good news for you, though. What's the good news? Well, on the way from my uh, house to my car this morning, I checked, and the asparagus is up. Mm. Oh, yeah. wow. So it won't be long. Wow. Do you go, uh, I, um, my ex-wife's family, they uh, dug for asparagus. That was kind of their thing they would go on. Do yeah. you do that? Uh, I just have it in my backyard, so okay. I just cut it off after it comes oh, up cool. and take it inside and cook it and eat it. Yeah, asparagus is great, you know, and that's yeah. like that's the vegetable that really kind of goes with anything, you know, you know. Uh, and kind of to meat. be honest, the I find a, I find it hard to to cook, get around to cooking it because I can just eat it raw. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, you, you know, if you just go by every day and there's a few sprouts up, you snap them off and and uh, that's it. You eat the asparagus and then you have to wait till tomorrow. <laughs> Damn. Well. uh yeah, like I said, it's been a while since I've been in an area where, yeah. you know, do that. But I would love to someday. You know, I would like I would love to have a garden and do all that. Um, before I get too much further into this, let me ask you what's uh what's some of your background like? Uh, where are you from originally, and what got you into um, libertarianism and what you do? Uh, we only have an hour, so I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you want me to do a shortcut here? The uh, I'm from Iowa. <laughs> I'm uh, what I think fifth generation because my great great grandfather got here in 1853. And uh, I've got uh, grandkids, so that's seven. So we got seven generations of pure Iowa. They wow. they like to say, you know, you can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy. <laughs> so I've had a chance to explore a lot of the world, uh, not as much as I'd like to, but uh, a fair amount of the world. And um, I've always come back to Iowa, even though I've lived outside of Iowa at various times. Uh, I, I'm about as Iowa as, as you can get. I, I Sometimes I, I just shake my head and say, can't I be different? Uh, but it <laughs> doesn't seem to work. I'm just an Iowa guy, of course, as you get older, and I'm not very old. I know I look uh, 59, but uh, that's just my Match.com profile age. Um, the, it's an out-of-date photo. And, uh, um, you know, I'm, I'm 70 years old, so I've been around long enough to see a lot of cycles and yeah. er just about everything, really. Uh, war, peace, um, Democrats, Republicans, uh, hate, love, uh, you know, drugs, liquor. I, I, I've seen just a lot of cycles. And um, 
So uh, one of the cycles that I've seen is that uh, I'm pure Iowan. I, I can't I can't cycle out. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I was I was lucky. I grew up in a small town, uh, Postville. Uh, mm. My dad was a, he wasn't a farmer. He was a voc ag teacher. So uh, all of his students were farmers, and I got out on on those farms a lot. But eventually, my dad, even on a teacher's salary, uh, moved from in town to a little five acres on the side of town, and uh, we got five sheep, I think, or six or something. So that was pretty pretty amazing. My brother and I were really young and had a lot of fun. And and then he got twenty acres on the other side of town, a little bit further out, and that was sort of isolated. Uh, we were definitely not on the edge of town. We were in the country. Um, but we weren't quite far enough away, so I still had to, I had to walk to school every day. <laughs> it's like if he would just would have bought his farm a little bit further. Uh, but we st- this now we got twenty sheep. You know, I guess it's one sheep per acre, something like that. Uh, and and then uh, we moved from there, and I grew up in the town of Makokota, which is a town, and it was a big regret of mine that I, we never got to live on the farm again. Hmm. Uh, but then this sort of magic thing happened. I was a, a paperboy for the Des Moines Register because my dad believed in making his kids work, so, so he didn't have to give them money. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, um, you know, I, I, I actually won a scholarship to go to a very fancy, famous, uh, very old and rich uh, New England prep school called Andover, or Phillips Academy. And, uh, you know, my parents had never even heard of this place until I uh, begged them to let me go because I got the scholarship. So for ninth through 12th grade, uh, I went to this school on the East Coast. And, uh, you know, I, I will brag about it all day long because um, I graduated. <laughs> well, and it's a great school. I had a fantastic time. But it's the, it's the kind of place where, I mean, okay, some of the other people that went there were like George Bush. And, uh, and then his dad, George Bush, also went there. They weren't there when I was there. No. <laughs> but, uh, but, oh, they're, the little boy, the, the Jeb Bush that became the governor of Florida, he was there. I remember him. I knew him. He wasn't my friend. He was a couple of years uh, behind me. But I mm. certainly remember him because it was an all-boys school, and you remember all the famous boys that go yeah. there. I actually remember all the boys, uh, including the infamous ones. But um, that was a very unique experience because I was going to school in the East Coast with a bunch of people who were, for the most part, rich and fancy and extremely smart. Uh, but I was still living in Iowa where all my friends were just plain Iowans. And um, I had two sets of friends. Mm. Uh, I lived in two places. And that had a real impact on uh, the way I think and the way I uh, um, I, I grew up and the way I got educated and, and my whole attitude towards life. Then I spent a year on the east, on the West Coast in a, in a college. That, that was 1969 and 70. And I know you're too young to remember, but those were very critical years. And yeah. in 70 in particular, it was, uh, you know, all the college campuses were erupt and uh, protesting the war in Vietnam. And it was Earth Day, the first Earth Day, and classes ended early. And um, that's okay for me because uh, I was sort of done studying anyway. Hmm. Uh, but then I spent two years traveling in the uh, Europe, the Middle East, and Asia. So uh, I dropped out of college and uh, had two years as a long-haired hippie traveling around uh, all the way to, to Nepal and Kathmandu, uh, most of the time uh, pursuing the, the hash trail. Uh, that's that's mostly the only thing we were doing was just following the, the, the whole trail across like uh, Morocco and then Lebanon mm. and then um, Afghanistan and then all the way to Nepal. Oh, and, wow. um, you know, that was a great time, uh, certainly both uh, some of the heights and some of the depths of my life. But I came back from there, and 30 days later, I, you know, I was, I was a long-haired hippie in, in Nepal, 
smoking a lot of uh, of marijuana, and then thirty days later, I was a uniformed police officer in my home t- <laughs> my hometown. Hey, what are you laughing at? <laughs> Come on, got to tell this with a straight that's, face. That's crazy. Uh, uh, yeah, I was a uniformed police officer in my home state of uh, or my hometown of Makokita. So that's a pretty quick trans- transformation, but I think it sort of uh, defines the way I think about things. Is uh, I've always enjoyed having uh, one foot on both sides of the fence. Uh, I I don't like standing on one side and wishing that the you know looking at the grass on the other side and saying oh it's a lot greener over there I want to jump the fence. If I think the grass is is greener, I jump the fence, and I've done that enough times so that I'm like well you know it's very seldom as greener on the other side. Uh, <laughs> but I like to I like to do both sides. You know I like to have a foot on the left and a foot on the right, and in uh, probably in just about everything that I do, uh, I pursue. I don't want to call it balance because I think I'm more like a barbell. I'm imbalanced on both sides. <laughs> but if you hold me in the middle, you know, it's pretty good. I'm sort of a heavyweight on both sides too. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, I can relate to that. Like, you know, you kind of talking about like having a foot in both places. I think, uh, I think a lot of libertarians, like, um, like a lot of commonality is like they have a lot of, you know, experience in different areas. Like you said, you had different, two different kinds of friends, you know, like I grew up in a small town as well. And, you know, now I, you know, live here and I've had other experiences in other places. And yeah, like, uh, I think the people who tend to fall into the binary, like Republican Democrat are not all the time, but generally they don't, you know, they lack those experiences a lot of times, you know? Yeah. If you can only see, uh, see one side, uh, usually it means that, um, you're looking in the mirror and you really ought to open that door and look on the other side of the door. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the same over there. And I find it extremely valuable to, uh, just to meet people that are completely different than me, completely different opinions than me, completely different background than me. Uh, I still enjoy that a tremendous amount. And I get very bored when I'm hanging out with people that are all the same. Yeah. You know, they entertain you for a little while and then I'm like, you know, I've sort of seen this. <laughs> maybe, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll go look somewhere else. Uh, not that I don't like those people. I have friends from everywhere. Yeah. But um, you know, the, the, pe- the people that excite me the most are the people that um, th- they love life and they, um, they're fairly educated. I don't mean they have to have a, a fancy degree so much, uh, although that's, that's okay too. Uh, <laughs> but they do things. You know, they, yeah, they just yeah. do things. They do things all the time and, and uh, they explore life. Uh, and I get along really well with people that are like that. Hopefully I'm like that. I, I try to be like that. I, I think most of the people that I admire are so far beyond anything I could ever dream of that I'm extremely jealous and I just wish that I were able to develop like they did. But uh, I, yeah, I, I just love life. I love being alive and I love meeting people and I love talking about things. And I, I love arguing, but I don't yeah. like fighting. Yeah, yeah, there's a difference. Yeah, no, I'm just not a fighter. I, I mean, yeah, I am a fighter. I'm a black belt taekwondo. Oh, but, wow. Damn. But you know what? Uh, it's so much fun to fight, but I, I like it when it's on the mat and there's rules in <laughs> and, both, and you shake hands afterwards, right? It's like, I, you know, we're both feeling great. We're, we, we can't move and we're bloody and everything else, but we're friends. Uh, and I don't like to fight with people who just want to fight. It's not any mm. fun for me. No. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I get that. I, you know. I really don't know that many people that are like that. I always hear about them. I see them on TV or I read stuff that they've read. I'm like, wow, that guy's really radical. They just hate so many people and they're so unhappy. And it's like, man, I don't know. I'd, I'd hate to be like that. Yeah. And then you meet them in person and you realize, no, actually, they're not like that at all. That's their public persona. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that there's not very many people out there that um, we love to hate uh, that I wouldn't enjoy hanging out with at least for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't drink more than one beer with Donald Trump. But, um, <laughs> you know, I'm not sure I'd drink more than one beer with uh, Joe Biden either. Uh, I, I mean, you know, Obama? Hell yeah, I'd, I'd drink a six-pack with Obama. 
that's good but you know it's good that you have like an open mind and you know uh yeah, there are a lot of people who would you know on either side be like what you know what's going on but i think again that's a commonality of libertarians i think uh let me ask you this like uh why are you a libertarian like why do you consider yourself that what's the what's the reason um to you well i think i'm a little bit like a, a mountain climber on a ridge where um uh, you know, it's way up there in the heights and it's cold and it's icy and it's dangerous and you're trying to get across the, the, the knife edge of the ridge and, you know, you look down to the left and you go, holy, holy crap, I can't, I can't fall down there. That's that's like, woo, I'm going to die. And then, you you know, you walk a couple more steps and you look down on the right and, and it's like, whoa, man, I can't go that way either. I, you know, I, I would die if I was down there too. And so you have to stay on the ridge. Um, you know, the ridges is, is where you are, where you're, it's going to take you where you want to get to. And if you fall into that trap of, of republicanism or, or uh, uh, democratism, uh, really, what it's not a good place to be. I, I can't agree with at least half of what either of those two parties do. It's just anathema to me. And so I, I refuse to join organizations that um, uh that, that don't represent something that I think is uh, a path forward uh, and also that don't reflect the, the values of our founding fathers. People always think that the people that are dead must not have been very smart, like not as smart as me. I mean, those, those guys don't know anything. Look what I've learned. Uh, and actually, I, I sort of believe the opposite. I think that the, the, the greatest thinkers, um, that, like probably you got to go back at least to the Greeks, and, and I imagine there were some other ones that aren't so famous that that I don't know enough about. But um, when, when you consider that we're still reading Plato and Aristotle and, and Socrates and stuff like that today, and that was written whatever twenty five hundred years ago, you really have to scratch your head and say, is there something new since then? <laughs> do we do we know anything that they didn't know? Uh, and yeah, you know there are some things we know some science that they didn't know. Uh, but there's been so many great thinkers, and, and then you just fast forward all the way to the, the founding fathers. Uh, and I don't make any apologies for the fact that they were fathers and not mothers. That's not my fault, so don't blame me that they were founding fathers. But um, I, they were just brilliant people. Yeah. And they spent they had the time and the energy and the, and the intellectual stamina uh, to, to spend an enormous amount of time trying to create something. Uh, without the kinds of pressures that we have today. They, they, they didn't have the, the daily or the by-the-hour news that broadcast everything uh, uh, and then uh, you know, allowed other people to gang up and, and yell and scream and uh, uh, disagree and fight and everything. I mean, they did fight. Look at the Federalist Papers. They, they fought uh, like dogs and cats, but they also fought respectfully. And uh, um, they created something that was actually uh, pretty amazing. The American Constitution is an f- amazing document because they balanced all the stuff that, that had, they'd learned from, from history uh, as well as they could. The first free country really in the world, uh, and they put together a document that is incredibly insightful. So I think that all I really am is somebody who admires the founding fathers for their libertarian instincts they carried at least as far as Iowa because Iowa was pure libertarian state when it was formed in uh, whatever eighteen really eighteen fifty seven. Well, just look I, at our state motto: it's pure libertarian. It's our our liberties we prize and our rights we will maintain. That's Iowa. Hmm. This was a libertarian state. They didn't have the word, but all of the aspects of libertarianism uh, is what our our Iowa founding fathers were uh, were fighting for. Uh, they were not fighting for what 
today's Democrats and Republicans are fighting for. <laughs> they wanted freedom. They wanted responsibility. They wanted to, to, be, uh, to, to live their life the way they wanted to live their life without somebody else telling them what they had to do or what they couldn't do. And um, that they built an entire state out of that. Okay, I admit it. You know, we killed all the uh, Indians. Back then they called them Indians. Uh, and we, we moved them out. Yeah, it's like absolutely atrocious. Fortunately, Iowa didn't have this, the sin of slavery to attach to us. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's not like our, our forefathers and our foremothers uh, were, were perfect in any shape, way, shape, or form. Uh, I, I, you know, I forgive people that are dead. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Sorry, I, I just I can only blame people that are alive. <laughs> people that are dead, I, I try to study their goods and their bads, and, and then take the goods and, and not take the bads from them. But yeah, I was always been a, a very libertarian state, and in many respects, it still is. I'm I, I'm very confident that libertarians are are the future of the. Uh, of the whole planet, really, mm. unless the Republicans and Democrats literally do um, succeed in destroying themselves the way that they appear to be wanting to do, because uh, I, I, it is pretty amazing. To, if, if you're a libertarian, you can be proud, but uh, it, it would be hard to be proud if you were a Democrat or a Republican, because they just behave so badly right, as a party. Yeah. Now, as individuals, of course, we have crazy libertarians. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, as individuals, we have crazy everything. Uh, but as a party, the libertarian principles that are, what, 50 years old now, uh, they stand up extremely well uh, to, to modern society. They aren't old-fashioned at all. Yeah, well, and the thing that attracts me to libertarianism is it's, uh, you know, unlike, you know, democratic Republican values, it's not authoritarian. It's not saying you need to act like this. It's more of a, you know, these are some basic fundamentals that, you know, we should abide by as a society and, you know, not getting into things you know, too specific, you know what I mean? Yeah, just respect your neighbor. You know, yeah. Basically, it's the golden uh, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, uh, which interestingly enough was my dad's, almost my dad's favorite expression. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's funny, you grow up and you think your dad doesn't know anything and he's old-fashioned and everything, but as you get a little bit older, you realize that <laughs> everything he used to tell you to do um, uh, makes a whole lot of sense. So that was one of them, uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And that's libertarianism in essence. Mm. You know, if you don't want somebody else to steal your stuff, don't steal their stuff. Yeah. If you don't want somebody else to hurt you, don't hurt them. And if everybody followed that, we wouldn't really need a government at all, would we? Yeah, yeah, in theory. Um, let me ask you this. What's uh, what's your start in, or what uh, what got you into starting in like libertarianism in terms of like, uh, you know, political office and things like that? Well, I, I was clearly a person who thought uh, in libertarian uh, ways without knowing even what a libertarian was. And I wasn't a joiner. I had a job. And, uh, you know, I just I didn't I barely paid any attention whatsoever to politics. I read a couple of magazines on a regular basis, The New Republic and The New Yorker, The Harpers. But um, that was sort of my total input. I've never been a TV guy. Uh, my dad didn't have a TV, when I, so I grew up without a TV. I was the only person in my, my town whose parents could not afford to buy a TV. Well, that's not what they said. <laughs> that's what I thought. I was like, well, you can't afford to buy a TV. Are you kidding? Everybody in this town has a TV, and you're the poorest guy? Uh, but my dad just didn't like it. He didn't like TV. And it was a blessing. Uh, at the time, of course, I, I was not thinking it was a blessing. I thought it was a curse. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I, I was blessed by, by not having a TV in the house. And I don't have a TV in the house today either. So, uh, you know, I grew up reading the newspaper, but then when it turned out that you had to pay to subscribe to it, I quit that 
uh, and I just read these magazines, and I had a job. So, I, you know, politics was a little, uh, it was difficult to really get involved. I had opinions, but they weren't based on a lot other than maybe somebody else's opinion. But then I retired, and uh, one of the things I promised myself was that I would uh, quit reading magazines, and I would start reading books uh, because, uh, you know, I had more time. And I did that. I, I, I pretty much quit reading magazines. I still subscribe to a few. Uh, but I started reading books. Uh, and I read a wide variety of books, but a lot of them are economics and history. Uh, I also read some some fiction, but I prefer old fiction. I, I don't like to read anything that was written within the last 100 years, for the most part, uh, with respect to fiction. Uh, and the more I read, the more I realized that um, my intuition uh, was pretty good on a lot of stuff uh, and um, pretty bad on some other stuff. Hmm. And, uh, I, you know, just by reading history and economics, uh, it sort of led me towards libertarianism because libertarians are sort of the, I mean, they're the party who's, you know, their economics is a whole lot better than the economics of the Republicans and the Democrats. Uh, the, I'm sorry, but the stuff that the Republicans and Democrats like to do just doesn't really hold up to good, solid economic analysis. And so um, the, the more you read and the more you, you learn, like, uh, well, this sounds like a good idea, but whoops, uh, it isn't a good idea, right? Like minimum wage would be a great example. It's like, well, that'd be good. I, I'd love it if everybody earned $15 an hour, except whoops, uh, nope, it's really actually a very bad idea, mm-hmm. especially if you want to uh, raise people up, okay? Because the minimum wage pretty much has the opposite effect. Mm. Uh, that's just this economic thing that uh, is pretty easy to understand if you, if you work on it. Uh, but anyway, maybe, maybe explain that for people because that that tends to be a thing that I debate with people a lot. Minimum wage, like explain more, like why, like what you were just saying, like why is it, um, why does it hurt people? Well, uh, presumably the the purpose of a minimum wage is so that uh, nobody has to earn less than that, yeah. um, which sounds honorable. Except the problem is, is if you set a minimum wage which is above the prevailing wage, uh, then uh, nobody can get a job unless they're worth that. Because people are not going to hire you and pay you $15 an hour if you're worth $10 an hour. They'll just, they just won't hire you. So that's what a minimum wage does. It's the people who don't get jobs. And, and by definition, those are the people you, you're trying to help. Hmm. Yeah. That's who it hurts the most is the people who don't get a job because they're not worth $10. Or, yeah, they're not worth $15 an hour. Um, and, but it's really hard to count them. Where, where do you go and look and go, oh, that guy, you know, he didn't get a job because he's only worth 10 bucks, and that guy didn't get a job because uh, he's only worth eight, and she didn't get a job because she's only worth 14? You can't count them. Yeah. But I they're know. there. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why you, uh, uh, like in a time like now, right, with minimum wage is $7.25 an hour, can anybody remember the days when a person used to work for $7.25 an hour? That's a long time ago. Yeah. Because right now, the minimum wage is pretty much close to 15 I mean, the prevailing wage, you mm-hmm. know, just go to Quickstar and say, I'd like to come to work and I'd like $15 an hour. And they'll say, when can you start? <laughs> yeah. Well, well, that didn't happen because the government raised the minimum wage. That happened because the prevailing wage went up because there weren't as many workers uh, as there were people who wanted to hire them. And so the wages just, they built up. That's a very natural thing. If you care about people who aren't worth minimum wage, and I do, I, I, I to me, let's just put this out here really yeah, easy. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I don't care about anybody uh, who's uh, like uh, above the above lower middle class. Okay, somebody has to be middle class and somebody has to be lower middle class. But when you go one step below that, like lower, lower class, that's who I care about. 
I don't care about the millionaires. I don't care about the billionaires. I don't care about the hundred thousand heirs. I don't, I, you know, I don't care about the people like me. I, I care about the people at the bottom. Mm. Everybody else is doing just fine. And I only want to implement policies that actually help the person at the bottom. I don't want to do these imaginary things that make other people feel good. Minimum wage is a feel-good policy. It makes the people that are earning more than minimum wage feel good because, like, well, now everybody's going to get uh, get $15 an hour and I'll feel really good. Well, guess what? That's They're not going to get $15 an hour. They're not going to have a job. And you should feel bad for, for putting them in that position and taking work away from them. That's, what you should, that's how you should feel. And that's how I feel when we implement policies that actually hurt the people at the bottom because those are the only people that I care about. Yeah. Then I don't. I'm completely in, uh, unequivocally opposed to that, and that's what a minimum wage is. There's there's ways to help the people at the bottom, but government, for the most part, has almost never implemented any of those ways. Uh, we have everything else. We yeah. we have welfare for the rich. You know that didn't help the poor. Yeah. <laughs> we, have, we 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 have a, a social security system that rewards everybody that uh, gets old and lives. So let me ask you this, like in a libertarian society, and I, I think I kind of have an answer, but like, how would how would you help those people then? Like, uh, you know, you cut off the minimum wage, but there's still, you know, this wide population of people who are really poor. And it's kind of, you know, it'd be hard for businesses that have a high value to like decrease their value to, you know, I, I think a way you, you could, you know, donate, you could have institutions that do donations. But I guess what's your what are your thoughts on that? Well, a pure libertarian approach is uh, you don't need to do anything because uh, if you just get the government out of the way, all those people at the bottom will still be uh, uh, at the bottom, but they'll they'll be pretty good, pretty well off. Hmm. Uh, the way I like to put it is, if we just hadn't had the twentieth century, w- they they would be well off today. Okay, because hmm. the twentieth century is where uh, uh, a lot of very well-meaning people decided that uh, if the, there was a problem, the government could solve it. Uh, and so we started uh, transferring income. We didn't used to transfer income. Transfers uh, are just where uh, I tax you and I give the money to somebody else. Okay, that's the that's what we call income transfers. Uh, Voltaire, even before the American Revolution, like 1765 or something. Uh, and if you don't know Voltaire, you should at least read all of his quotes because he was one of the greatest quote producers of all time. Uh, he said, uh, the art of government is to take as much money as possible away from one group of people and to give it to a different group of people. Yeah. Well, that was that was before the American Revolution. Uh, it's the same thing today. And if you just look at what the Republicans are trying to do, they try and they try and tax the people that don't vote Republican, and they try and give it to the people that do vote Republican. And then when we switch, the Democrats try and take money away from the Republicans and give it to the Democrats. Uh, that's just what government does. So um, unfortunately, when the 20th century came around and they had the Great Depression, uh, first it started the really the, the giving away uh, money. Uh, to people uh, started with, um, unfortunately, you know, shame for us, uh, the, the first and only Iowa president, Herbert Hoover. Hmm. Um, the last great president was Calvin Coolidge, uh, and he left office in uh, 1928. And Hoover had been his vice president. He won, uh, and so he had four years, and people blame him. Uh, what's really hilarious is when the, the Democrats claim that Hoover, <laughs> Hoover created the Depression. Well, I mean, <clears throat> really— the, the Depression had many causes. I don't think we want to go into it here, but um, uh, Hoover was the ultimate engineer. He was, that's what he was. He was the engineer. He was the richest man in the world. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> he was a mining engineer. <clears throat> this, this guy that we all think of as a poor Iowa farmer was the richest man in the world, and um, he, he, he thought that it was the government's responsibility to, to solve every problem. It didn't make any difference if it was flooding 
which is what he tried to solve. That's true. Okay? There was a big flood in the Mississippi River, and Hoover wanted to solve that. Uh, but anyway, he tried to implement all these programs in, uh, for the government, and, and uh, none of them uh, worked, right? Uh, and then he got blamed for Hooverville in, uh, uh, in Washington. And, you know. Anyway, uh, those were World War I vets who uh, wanted to change the contract that they fought under. Mm. If, if, if you don't know your history, these, <laughs> these, these, guys, these World War I veterans uh, had been promised a pension, right? Mm. Uh, and, then, and they were given a pension, but they wanted more. So they all came to Washington demanding, you know, we want pension. And uh, uh, you know, Hoover said, well, no, you, you, know, you signed a contract and we lived up to our half, so you should live up to yours. But anyway, I'll try to make this a little bit shorter story. I get no, carried good. away sometimes. You're good. But, uh, um, you know, Hooverville made the front page and then uh, Hoover looked uh, bad and so he got roundly trounced by by roosevelt well what roosevelt did was he implemented every one of herbert hoover's programs but with a different name (laughs) (laughs) that's you know yeah that's it's like the magic trick (laughs) see the rabbit you know aha whoa look at the patriot it's yeah yeah yeah, the patriot act so uh so basically we, we we turned into a society where um over the course of time, the 20th century, uh, where the, the government tried to solve problems that, that they had no chance whatsoever of actually solving, and they made things worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And, you know, little by little, they, they uh, changed the country into one where there are tremendous amounts of transfer payments. And I am coming around to the point. <laughs> so if we hadn't had the 20th century, uh, I'm pretty sure we wouldn't have poor people in America um, we really don't have poor people in America today. When you look at the the whole world, there's nobody poor in America. Yeah, uh, in terms of, in kind of that context. Yeah, uh, but we'd be probably twice as rich uh, as a country if it hadn't been for the 20th century and in income transfers. Uh, so if you think about the United States being twice as w- rich as we are now, it means that the people at the bottom would also be twice as rich. And so, yeah, they, they really wouldn't be poor. Uh, we achieve that non-poverty now by income transfers. Okay. Okay, because the people at the bottom are not necessarily working. Yeah, but yeah, they're getting yeah. money, mm-hmm. uh, and, and the people, uh, you know, of, of all stripes, really are getting getting paid to to do nothing. Like somebody who is old, like I am, I get paid to do nothing. I literally, <laughs> thank you very much for coming to work every day, <laughs> because you're paying me to do nothing, and I don't do anything, and I still get a check. So you know, I really appreciate. It. I can't believe that you're so generous. Uh, I, I I love it. You know, keep doing it. Keep keep working, because because I love those checks, but I don't deserve those checks. What am I doing that, that says I, I deserve you to work and then I'll take your money? I don't. So anyway, <clears throat> that's the 20th century. We, we created a monstrosity. Mm. Uh, and now we have everybody uh, that is dependent on government and they think that uh, good things can't happen unless government does it for them. Uh, but in actual fact, the, the libertarians believe that the, if the government got out of the way, like I said, we'd be twice as rich and we'd be twice as charitable and everyone would be at least twice as well off. Uh, not to mention that they'd have the individual freedom to do whatever that is that they want to do, and they they wouldn't be constrained by nonsense rules uh, by the government. Okay, now here's my point. This is not my this is not a libertarian platform, and and definitely you won't find this in any libertarian principles or libertarian platforms. But uh, we've dug ourselves up this gigantic hole where there's everybody thinks that they deserve something for not doing anything. You know, uh, I'm poor, so you should give me some food, right? I'm poor, you should give me a house. I'm poor, you should give me uh, health care. Uh, and uh, um, a better answer is uh, 
Wow, here I get a, a chance to talk about another famous Iowa libertarian, the most famous Iowa libertarian, uh, Charles Murray, uh, mm. widely despised because he, he wrote a book where he told the truth. that Nobody wanted to hear the truth. Uh, that first book would have been The Bell Curve, and uh, the last one, I think, was called Human Dignity. No, Human Diversity, I'm sorry. Uh, but anyway, uh, he this this isn't his original idea. In fact, I'm going to claim it was my original idea. <laughs> because when uh, Bill Clinton was in office and uh, Hillary Clinton was the first lady, uh, I, I wrote a, Hillary a letter because I, I figured Bill wouldn't read it. You know, I'm going I'm to go one notch down. Uh, and I explained that, you know, universal basic income would, would solve this problem. Uh, and she didn't write back. I don't know. Maybe the letter got lost in the mail. <laughs> you can't tell. You know, it's a government entity that delivers the mail, so you, can, you, don't, you never know. No, for sure, <laughs> but uh, but Hillary, Hillary Clinton, yeah, she didn't write back. Uh, but anyway, uh, Charles Murray uh, is a huge proponent, and he's also a lot smarter than I am, which pretty much half the world is. <laughs> and uh, so he spells it out a lot clearer than I, and is a lot better at explaining it. But uh, he wrote a whole book on the universal basic income. Oh, and Andrew Yang, of course, in the last presidential mm-hmm. election, uh, that's what he proposed too. And I know I know Andrew, um, and I read both his books, uh, and hopefully he's going to uh, endorse me in this this campaign because because mm. I'm a UBIer. Uh, but uh, Charles Murray got it right, and, and Andrew got it wrong. And Andrew sort of had the wrong reasons. But it's still the same idea, and it's still a good idea. And that is, everybody gets a check. So I'm going to go with Charles Murray's plan. Um, everybody gets a $13,000 a year just because you turned 18. Damn. Uh, if it's 21, uh, I stand corrected because I always forget. But at some point in time, you get $13,000 a year. That's interesting. I didn't think that universal basic income was a um, typical libertarian perspective. Nope, it's not. So... So I guess, okay, let me ask you this then. What kind of libertarian do you see yourself as? I'm a pure libertarian. Okay, like, uh, like, okay, like in relation to like anarchism <laughs> or like, because uh, like I no, can, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't go for any of those labels. Okay, I'm sorry, okay. but well, I'm just not a person who does a good job at uh, looking at micro differences and I see, I see. Out. Okay, so I'm a pure libertarian because I believe in pure liberty and I believe in pure freedom. Um, but I also believe that uh, we've dug ourselves a deep hole. And um, as a practical person, I, I, I want to get a ladder and climb out of the damn hole. So yeah. that ladder is not a libertarian ladder, but I'm not going to sit at the bottom of the hole and argue about whether I should be I using see. a, you know, uh, climbing shoes or whether I should ask for a rope or you know, I, it's like we need to get out of this hole. We're in this hole where everybody thinks that the government needs to solve every one of their economic problems for them, and that uh, it has to be done for free. And I'm sorry, that's number one. It won't work, and number two, uh, it won't be free. So let's do something that also isn't free, but it will actually work. Because if you if you write everybody in uh, um, in the United States that's uh, 18 years old a $13,000 check, careful because you don't get one check. Okay, there's some there's some restrictions here. Uh, but if if you do that, then um, there won't be any poor people left in America except uh, kids. All yeah. they have to do is wait. All they have to do is wait until they're 18, and then they won't be poor anymore. And actually, of course, I think most parents won't allow their kids to grow up in poverty anyway because the parents will have money. Um, And I believe in that. I believe in fixing the problem. But I also believe that if you fix the problem in the long run, that would go away. People would go, oh, you know, this is not worth our time and effort. Everybody's already, like, pretty well off. And this this transfer stuff, it's just sort of, you know, we don't need that. We, we, We can be rich and free altogether. Because we are rich, okay? Yeah. Yeah, we are rich. So so I guess let me ask you this. How how would that affect inflation, though? Because I think that's been 
because that's kind of the you know the back the backlash that we've had from you know the covid checks and stuff and that you know that wasn't universal basic income but it kind of was in a sense in terms of the idea it wasn't probably executed in the way that you're maybe thinking but like there is kind of a question of like how that would affect um you know affect inflation do you have any thoughts on that oh yeah no you're absolutely correct uh i love that experiment right they just sent everybody a check I mean, they didn't because like they they said, oh well, you made too much money. You're not going to get a check. And, and, well, yeah, and it was really the balance was off. I mean, it mostly went to the corporation, so it wasn't really. Well, uh, yeah, give, give me one step in between before I climb all over that because that's part I hate. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> they, they they gave everybody twelve hundred dollars, but they didn't increase taxes. Mm. So you can't you can't do one without the other. You can't like say, well, we'll give everybody money, but we're, but nobody ever has to pay for it. Uh, that's that's fraudulent. Okay, the, the government does not have the ability. No one has the ability to do that. Okay, I I can promise you a thousand dollars, but if I don't have the money, you're not going to get it. And if I write you a check for a thousand dollars, it ain't gonna it's gonna bounce when you when it comes back to me, and the government's check is gonna bounce too. So let's just stick with the twelve hundred dollars, right? Well, yeah. okay. So they sent you twelve hundred dollars, and you felt really good, didn't you, for a day? Yeah. Uh, maybe even after you put the money in the bank, and I don't know what you bought with it, but it's like yeah, that felt good. I admit it, I liked it. Of course, I didn't spend it because I knew that I was gonna have to pay it back later in taxes. Uh, so I invested mine, but um, that's that, just do the math okay just take the size of the of the stimulus and divide it by the number of people in the united states and you realize that they spent i think it was $5600 to spend, to give you a $1200 check and wow. you're going to pay you're going to pay $5600 in taxes for the benefit of getting a $1200 check uh, would you do, would you take that deal no. <laughs> Well, I wouldn't take it either, but we're going to have to do it. You are going. We're all going to pay 50, for just the first check I'm talking about, not to mention the last two. We, we're going to have to pay three or four or five times as much back in taxes as we got. That's just the way economics works. It's math. It's not a political question. It's a pure math question. So yeah, that was like a combination of a really good idea, uh, which was universal basic income, with two really bad ideas, which is one, well, let's not raise taxes. And then number two, well, let's not give most of the money to the people. Let's waste the most of the money by giving it to local governments and state governments and, and corporations and best friends and buddies and the people that I drink with and my golfing friends. Because that's where it went. It, it certainly didn't come to us. I got 1200 bucks with a $5,600 bill. Yeah. <laughs> Where's the rest of the money? Where's the $4,400? Because that just got wasted. And there was no tax increase. And so, yeah, of course, there's inflation. Anybody could have said there was, I mean, that's the, when the government spends more money than it takes in, that's inflationary. Every single time. It's Milton Friedman got a, got a Nobel Prize for that. So let's, let's acknowledge the fact that inflation is a monetary uh, phenomenon. That's interesting. Um, so let me ask you this. So I, I'm registered as a libertarian. Um, I, yeah, 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 all right. All right. Yeah. Here, let me congratulate you. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to make sure you get yeah. into our honor roll too, okay? Because oh. you're a libertarian and you put me on the <laughs> podcast. So as far as I'm concerned, that's the, that's the best there is. <laughs> awesome. Hey, here it's on recording. So if you don't come through, I got you. Yep. No, I'm kidding. Uh, me and Molly actually both voted for uh, Joe Jorgensen last year. Well, that. thank you very much. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I do have a question because um, as a libertarian, I still have my you know skepticisms of it um I, I you don't consider yourself an anarchist but a lot of people that i um tend to listen to and, and interact with tend to side more toward anarchism which is no government um no universal basic income etc um i guess a couple things that i 
you know, have questions with of like how you would deal with these things in a um in a society with little to no government. Um things like nuclear weapons, um you know, and then there's kinda of the idea of like legalized violence in a sense. Um you know, if there's someone who is being malicious and um you know, being violent towards people, like I guess what's your response to you know, some of those things, you know, people, the general concerns that people may have for having no government or little government. Well, if you start from where we're at and try and go to no government overnight, then probably uh, you're going to find out that the people that have the nuclear weapons are even worse than the ones that, that currently have the nuclear weapons because they're going to go out and, you know, it's the troublemakers that are going to uh, go out there and accumulate all of the, the troublesome things. Yeah. Uh, you can't, you can't go from here to there without going through the interim. Okay. So you mm. would have to, you have to like, just clamp down little by little by little by little by little over the course of time until you can get to the point where there's no government, number one. So if you want me to fantasize about what the world would be like if we had never had a government, okay, well, then I think it would have been a very idyllic world. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that uh, there wouldn't be any nuclear weapons. Who would you sell them to? <laughs> you can't, you're, the only one that can you, you can sell a nuclear weapon to is a government uh, or somebody who wants to be the government. And mm. if there is no government and the world is an idyllic place, then who wants to be the government? Uh, it's, how's it going to make me better? I, I've got everything I want. I've got all the the peace and the love and the prosperity that I want. And and why would I? What would I do with more of, of a perfect life? It's, it would sort of squeezes out bad apples as opposed to one bad apple ruins the bunch. We do have a government. Okay, uh, I I have no idea whether uh, humankind could actually live in an idyllic, anarchic, no government society uh, for any length of time. However. Uh, what I have read, and I, I don't study things. You have to remember, I'm not a student. I, <laughs> I read, okay? Yeah. I, I steal other people's ideas. That's all I do. <laughs> I, I just read. I, if it looks like a good idea, I steal it. If it looks like a bad idea, I, I leave it behind. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It looks to me like there's something in human behavior that may be biological and hereditary and genetic that um, uh, will not ever allow us to live in an anarchic society in, in peace with the entire rest of the world. So the question is, uh, how can we minimize government? And, and really the question is, how can we minimize the harm of government? Mm. Uh, because uh, government, by its very nature, is going to be political. And if it's political, uh, you're going to find people arguing about it. And if you find people arguing about it that sort of get convinced of their own strong opinions, then very quickly you escalate into they're going to try and force other people to, to live the life that they think they should live. Uh, and once you get into the area where people are trying to force other people to live life the way they think they should live, then you have conflict. And it escalates, and eventually you have uh, nuclear weapons, and you have uh, war in Ukraine. So I, I can't claim that, that we could have perfection. I can claim that we can reverse this, this horrible trend that we've uh, experienced ever since the 20th century of, of growing and growing and growing government and shrinking and shrinking and shrinking uh, the private, uh, private sphere. And, and, and uh, um, that's just, we can go backwards. And that's what we need to do. So my UBI requires that we eliminate Social Security, we eliminate Medicare, we eliminate Medicaid, we eliminate farm subsidies, we eliminate corporate welfare, we eliminate uh, food stamps, uh, Section 8 housing, everything that the government is currently doing to pretend to solve problems. We just eliminate that, and that's pretty much exactly as much money as you'd need to give everybody $13,000 a year. So I'm not, uh, I'm not increasing taxes. I, I'm keeping taxes the same. I'm going to just change the system. Now, that's a leap, too. 
Yeah. You know? And Charles Murray comes right out and says, well, this isn't going to happen. But but it's reasonable to think that we could do that because mm-hmm. if you just work through all the math for every single person, you know, the farmers are going to be okay if they don't get a $250,000 corn subsidy check. Believe it or not, they're going to be okay. They can live without that. And the people that are seniors, they can live without it too because the ones that are like me, I you know, I'll be right up front here. I get I get $3,000 a month. I'm sorry, I laugh every time I think about it. You, you, you give me $3,000 a month. I thank you so much for that. I hope all the listeners will understand that I am one of the most appreciative people in the world. I love each and every one of you that goes to work. I love my kids because they go to work. I love my nieces and my nephews. They go to work and they, and they go to work for me. And, and I, I love their checks, okay? Don't stop, don't stop. But truth be told, I would be okay if all I got was my $13,000 UBI, right? Yeah. And so would everybody else. If, if we just switched the system from what it currently is, which is unworkable, and switched it to one that is a UBI, uh, then yeah, there'd be a bunch of old fogies like me that would whine and complain and, and write our congressman and we'd claim that I can't even eat anymore because that $3,000 check, I was getting my Cheerios with that. Um, but the reality is, sorry bud, uh, 13 is enough for you, and it's enough for everybody. It's If you want more, go to Walmart, be a door uh, guy, and, and like greet mm-hmm. people, and you know, and hey, I can do that, so I'm gonna do that if I have to. And everybody else will too. We already do that. The world works really well. We've just screwed it up. Government has, has made it so most people feel miserable even when they aren't. I see, I see. That's a great accomplishment, isn't it? <laughs> we've, we've, taken, we've taken people that are actually happy Okay, yeah. and we've made them all miserable. I mean, I'm miserable. I'm miserable when I read the news, and I see what the government is trying to do on both sides all the time. They're they they just they've they've turned me into a miserable old man <laughs> by passing laws that that somebody else likes. And both sides are just they're they're just trying to win a political game, and I don't like the game. So yeah, government has succeeded in making me miserable. <laughs> And I'm pretty well off, you know. I'm not rich, you know. I, but I lay everything out, okay? I'm a millionaire, right? I'm not a two millionaire. <laughs> and if the stock market goes down again, I won't be a millionaire tomorrow, but I'll be like a 0.9 millionaire maybe. Uh, but so, you know, you might say, well, he's really rich. I'm like, yeah, because I, sa- I saved my money all my life and now I'm living off the, the income. Uh, but, I, but I'll also say this. Um, uh, I don't want any more money and I can do with less. But I can't stand this political whining and wrangling and lying and deceit that's out there. It drives me nuts. It, it makes me unhappy. And if I didn't have a good sense of humor, if I didn't, if I wasn't a fundamentally happy person, uh, I would, I would literally think that I was uh, living in a in a miserable world. Yeah. Uh, so that's what politics does. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've I've felt that times in my life. <laughs> it's pretty so. sad, isn't it? I can, it's I like, can, we, we've we've solved the American problem. We've made everybody miserable. Yeah. <laughs> equality for all. Uh, yeah. you know, there's no inequality here in this America. Yeah, the American dream. Everybody. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Making yeah. everybody miserable. The only thing we're waiting for is the next election, so I can make you as miserable as I already am. Yeah. One, I, I will say one of the things that I, uh, and, and like I, I like I said, I'm a, I'm a proponent of libertarianism. I support, but one of the things I do question with is like um, America's overall ability to, you know, because there's a certain sense of personal responsibility you have to have. I think if you wanted to, you know, like do the things that you're talking about, like you know, get your thirteen thousand and then go get a job, like and and you know that is due to government 
um, you know, a lot of the, you know, a lot of that being due to government that people don't have that, but that is kind of a problem. You see, like if we were just to say, you know, here's your $13,000, um, there would be like a ripple effect of, you know, you know, adjustments and bad things happening, you know? So it's understandable how people can be, um, you know, turned off to it a little bit. Well, everybody, uh, you know, the little story about the monkey with his uh, hand in the coconut, uh, grabbing a little bit of food out of the inside, and mm-hmm. he, he he won't let he won't let go of the coconut, but as long as he has the coconut, he can't get his hand out, right? Mm, so then yeah. the the hunter just comes up and like now the hunter can run down the monkey because the monkey won't give up the coconut, which is weighting him down. Uh, the monkey obviously would be far better off if they just let go of the coconut inside the, the little yeah. handful of coconut yeah. and pulled his hand out and went up in the tree and gave the hunter the finger. Uh, but uh, that's not what uh, the monkey wants to do and that's not what a lot of people want to do because people are afraid of change. Yeah. Now I'm blessed, uh, blessed uh, to not be afraid of change. Sometimes, uh, sometimes I hate it, but I'm also very cognizant of the fact that, that it's, it's okay to be different it's okay to try. It's okay to, to have your computer program uh, be upgraded when you weren't paying attention, and now you have to learn the new uh, interface. It makes me angry <laughs> when, I, <laughs> when I have to change my habits. Uh, but uh, but change, is, change is okay, and we live through it, and we change all the time, and we should embrace it, and uh, uh, we should be willing to experiment uh, with things that uh, will work so we can get rid of all the things that don't work. Uh, that's a little bit my point is... Um, if it's not working, let's quit. Because, you know, my background is in business. I, I never finished my little, uh, yeah. little autobiography. I was kind of curious, you, your wealth. Uh, yeah, let, let me go backwards, okay? Yeah, yeah. So I was a long-haired hippie. I became a, a police officer. Uh, they fired me because I wouldn't shave my beard. Uh, I'm very proud of that. Um, my my chief of police was not the problem, but uh, his <laughs> his mayor was the problem. There was a brand new mayor in town, you know? So if there's a new mayor in town, go get your hair cut. <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> So they they fired me because I wouldn't get my uh, um, uh, my beard. I wouldn't cut my beard off. And then I was going to South America, and I'll be perfectly upfront about this too. I had five thousand dollars. I had a uh, a red Ford van, and uh, I had a, a Honda three fifty uh, CB. Uh, and I was going to South America, and I had five thousand dollars in my pocket. And I was my first stop was going to be Colombia. I was going to do a lot of cheap cocaine. Yeah. Um, at that particular point in time, I'd never done any cocaine, and so I didn't really have any idea what was going to happen when I did some cocaine. But uh, you know, on my first trip, you know, I we went uh, overland, like I said, Morocco, Lebanon. Uh, you know, Morocco, the uh, the the keef, which is the pot, right? Was uh, I can't quite remember how much it cost, but I know that by the time we got to Lebanon, we were paying a dollar a gram for a good uh, red Lebanese hash. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, that's not a bad deal, right? <laughs> yeah. you know, how many grams do you want? <laughs> yeah, I think I think in California, yeah. they got a deal like five a gram or something. Yeah. That's like, that's crazy. <laughs> well, uh, by the time we got to Afghanistan, uh, that good black Afghani was two cents a gram, okay? I mean, even I, we were living on a dollar a day, uh, but we couldn't smoke up 50, gra- 50 grams of that black Af- mm-hmm. Afghani hash. So that, we saw, that was the trail we followed. That was very traditional back then. It's not like I invented this. There, there was lots of people that were doing exactly the same thing I was doing. Was like, where are you headed? I'm going east. Anyway, uh, you know, it's like, okay, well, if you want to do drugs and you, and you don't have a lot of money, go where the drugs are. That's the, that was basically what we were doing. Yeah. So I was going to go. <laughs> can't believe I know you're not recording any of this, are you? <laughs> Okay, 
Because if the Republicans and Democrats come after me uh, and uh, they try and take small little snippets of this uh, and uh, use it to crucify me on TV, you know what that means? That means I've won. Well, you've already come on my podcast, so th- that was your first mistake right there. <laughs> the uh, uh, the uh, uh, if the Republicans come after me, that means they're afraid of me, and as soon as they're afraid mm-hmm. of me, I've won. Okay, yeah, yeah. because nobody That's because the, the real people out there they're not afraid of me. They're not. I mean, what what, what am I going to do to them? Okay. I, anyway, so. Uh, I was headed to South America, uh, and uh, that's where the cheap cocaine was. And even though I'd never had any, I thought, like, go where the cheap drugs are. But before I got there, I took a class in auto mechanics in uh, at Kirkwood in order to be able to fix my van in case it broke. And um, during that time, I started a, a hobby, basically. It was nothing other than a hobby. My wife and I started selling herbs and spices uh, to food co-ops. Mm. Uh, and that was just like we were like communists, basically. You know, food co-ops, communism. Hey, what do you know? That's about the same thing. When I, I was in Israel for five months, lived on a kibbutz too, and that's a collective organization. And so I really loved it. Uh, you, you went to work six days a week. You only worked six hours a day, and they fed you. They gave you clothes, medical care, mm. a place to sleep. Uh, you know, they had a swimming pool. They did your laundry for you. Uh, they gave you five packs of cigarettes every week too. <laughs> They were really bad cigarettes. <laughs> and they gave you all the wine you wanted on Friday nights because uh, it's a Jewish Sabbath. And uh, they um, nobody drank the wine except the volunteers like us. <laughs> and we only drank it twice before we decided that, uh, that Lebanese hash was a better deal. Anyway, the... <laughs> Uh, I, you know, we started this hobby, and uh, it it gradually, uh, about, over the course of about a year, uh, went from a hobby to where we had to start hiring people. We were selling herbs and spices, only the legal herbs, to natural food stores in Iowa. Um, and then uh, after a year and a half, we we it was just nothing, right? I mean, it was no no work at all. But then the the natural food stores in the midwest uh, started buying from us like in madison and ann arbor and chicago uh and all of a sudden we had to we had to start hiring people and the company just took off and now it's a cooperative i i didn't own it my wife didn't own it we never owned it we didn't want to own it we were communists uh Uh we started it as a cooperative and it's still a cooperative it's still there today and today it's a 250 million dollar a year cooperative wow uh yeah with uh 600 employees uh, when I left in uh, 1999, uh, was only 40 million, and we had 300 employees. So obviously, their productivity has increased a lot, and their sales have increased. And you, you know, you can buy it everywhere in Iowa and all around the United States. Really, every natural food store, almost every supermarket, uh, Frontier Natural Products is the name, and plus we have a bunch of other brand names: Oracacia Essential Oils. So. Uh, yeah, that's where I got my money. Uh, uh, when we started, we uh, you know worked for free, and then uh, when we tr- tried to hire people at the same wage, <laughs> couldn't find anybody. Uh, no, it, we literally were just begging our friends to come and help us. <laughs> Some of them did, and then they found excuses why not, why maybe they were not available that day. Yeah. Uh, so then we started paying people. We started paying people a dollar an hour. Uh, that's back when minimum wage was a dollar fifty. Mm. So we, yeah, we broke the law. <laughs> But we had this complicated scheme where uh, if we made money every month, then you got a, like a bonus on top of the dollar. Mm. Uh, and yeah, you know, the government caught us and the, uh, after about a year or something, uh, and they came in and they said, oh, no, that's illegal. You can't do that. And we said, listen, the bonus is worth more than 50 cents every single month. So you're getting a dollar plus you're getting a bonus. Oh, no, 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 that's not, that's not legal. You, you got to do all this back pay. And we're like, oh, my God. <laughs> 
Thanks for your help. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you really made things easy. Uh, but we were very idealistic. And, uh, you know, uh, over the course of time, as the business grew, the pay went up. Because in the very beginning, it was a dollar an hour for every single person there. We were collective and all share and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then, you know, it did go up. The government made us pay a dollar fifty, and then we paid two. And then uh, at a certain point in time, we said, well, you know, people that don't want to be involved in the management of the of the, of the company, they get paid a dollar an hour less or something like that. And uh, pay went up. And, uh, you know, over the course of 24 years, uh, I was being I was being paid substantially. But I saved my money from the very first day when I was getting paid a dollar an hour. I saved probably at least, I don't know, a quarter of that. Hmm. Yeah, because, you know, if you're not thinking of the future, then you're not thinking. It's going it's to come, okay? I was, 20, what, 25, 26 years old. I wasn't planning on, like, dying tomorrow, so I'm going to spend all my money today. I was, I've always been a saver. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so I saved money. And when I retired, I saved enough money that in my 401k and, and plus some other savings that uh, I have been uh, delightfully unemployed for the last, what, 22 years. Now, when I say unemployed, I, what I should say is I have not had to work for pay. Okay. I, I love to work. I just don't need to take in your money. Thank you mm. very much because I've already got enough of my own. Um, and, uh, um, you know, that's what happens if you save your money. Uh, and you and just invest it. All my money is invested in the stock market and index fund. That's the only thing anybody should do. Uh, and, uh, um, you know, if you do that for 40 years, then you'll have a lot of money. And if you don't do that, well, you won't have much. But right now, we just guarantee you that you don't, you don't have to save your money because we're going to give you a Social Security check when you're 65. Yeah. Right? And thank you very much. I want to say one more time, last time. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for working every day for me. I, 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 I know I don't deserve it, but I appreciate your efforts. Um, the the uh, um, and plus, you know, I, I think it's also worth uh, going into. It's like I, you know, I had the top job at the company, right? I wasn't I wasn't the person who just got hired and is is bagging up herbs and spices by hand. Uh, but it, it's a it's a very cool company, and we are uh, we still maintain some of our um, communist roots. <laughs> Uh, but when we started, we we always provided uh, free free childcare for everybody. Well, that, that's because there were only two of us, and we, and we had a um, a baby, <laughs> so <laughs> one of us worked, and the other one took care of the baby. Uh, but then when we had to get other people to help, uh, they had babies too, so we took care of everybody's babies, and one person took care of the babies, and everyone else worked. Uh, and then it became obvious that uh, it would be more efficient if uh, one person, like you know, cooked lunch for everybody, and we all ate the lunch. So we uh, we did that. That's not, that's we did that for several years, and then it, you know, as we grew, it became obvious that it would be better if we actually hired somebody to watch the babies, mm, as opposed yeah. to like, okay, I'm going to watch the babies today, and then I'm going to be the financial manager tomorrow. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I, I think that when they watched me watch the babies, they said, you be the financial manager, we'll watch the damn babies. Yeah. <laughs> Especially cooking. You know, the last time I got to cook, um, I, I made a sort of a critical error. I, it was a tomato-based dish, and I, you know, I left it on the stove uh, <clears throat> beyond the time at which I should have. And, <laughs> and I, I, guess, I guess other people don't like eating burned food as much as I do. And after that, they, they didn't let me cook. Uh, so, so, but but anyway, the the company it, even today it has a, a full time childcare facility, and there's a sliding scale. But when I was there, um, you could get childcare for as little as ten cents an hour, 
and it was right where you worked, right? So if you have a new baby, uh, they used to let them bring, <laughs> used to be you could bring the baby in the same day because, you know, everybody was having home, babies born at home and babies are fine and they don't take, they don't need three days of rest. <laughs> the hospital needs three days of uh, of money, but the babies are fine. <laughs> the uh, uh, so I think now you have to the baby has to be two weeks old before you can bring him to work. I don't know, but um, uh, you bring your baby to work, and uh, you know you leave the baby downstairs. And when you when the baby wants to be fed, the people that are working in chakra they say, "Hey, baby wants to wants to, wants mama," and mama just sets her stuff aside and goes down and and feeds the baby. And, and when the baby's full, the mama goes back upstairs and works. And you know. You don't keep track of that kind of time. It's like, who's going to have a baby just so they can get extra break time? <laughs> Not me. <laughs> babies need to nurse. Moms need to nurse the babies. It, it works, right? And, and the same thing. They have. I, in fact, I just had lunch out there on Monday, uh, and uh, you know we still serve lunch, and it's very reasonably priced. It's not free. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but it's uh, it's it's subsidized. It's convenient. It's nutrition nutritious. It's good. It's easy uh, for you to eat there. Uh, we we always thought that it was more fun to be collective than to be uh, individualistic. But here's what the point that people miss: the government never made us do any of this stuff. Mm. You know, they didn't pass a minimum number of baby hours law. They said <laughs> you have to you have to provide childcare in your workplace for four hours every day. No. And they never said, you have to feed your employees nutritious food. You know, none of that stuff had anything at all to do with government. Yeah. That was done because we were trying to do two things. We were trying to get the work done. We were trying to make a profit. And we wanted to be friends with everybody. I want to be friends with the people that are taking care of the babies. I want to be friends with the cook. I want to be friends with the people that are working in, the, in bookkeeping and, and grinding herbs. And I, I want to be friends with everybody at work. Yeah. I, I don't want to have enemies. It's only in politics that they like to have enemies. And that's why politics is so miserable. Now, I'm not trying to say that all 600 people that work at Frontier are, um, uh, you know, it's the absolutely best job they've ever had in their life and that they wouldn't give it up for anything. But I can say this, uh, they're good jobs and people love to work there. <laughs> a yeah. lot, there's and, and sometimes they, they love to work there and then they 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 find a better job and they leave but they still you know it, it's a private initiative it's it's the voluntary exchange of labor for money and labor for for childcare labor labor for uh, for food and uh, it works really well yeah okay no yeah, it's a fantastic system the free market is is unbelievable it's created I mean, we're the richest country in the history of the world by a long shot uh, and it works and even China became rich once they went uh, capitalistic. Well, that's what I mean. China used to be poor when they were communist, and then they, they changed to capitalist, and they suddenly made a lot of money. Gee, I wonder what it was. Yeah. <laughs> Could it have been voluntary exchange? Mm, well, maybe we should try that. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it is a wonderful system uh, when you have when people can voluntarily exchange with other people. And there's no force involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Self-evident truth, as they said in the Declaration of Independence. It's you know? absolutely self-evident, yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, the problem is that sometimes government corrupts that, yeah. and they make it appear to be something different. So, exactly. you know, the government tried to tell – I can't believe this happened, but the government tried to convince me they knew something about COVID. I was like, wow, that's the biggest joke around. Nobody knew anything about COVID. And the government yeah. tried to convince <laughs> right. like, when nobody knows anything, and and somebody in the, in the government, so a politician says, "I know, I know what you should do." So I'm like, "Oh no, now we're in trouble because it's so obvious they had not the slightest clue what to do." Yeah, but they've trained people to think that that well somebody must know what to do. 
Well, yeah, somebody does. They're called the private, um, uh, the, the, the private market. Somebody did know what to do. Had you ever heard of all these people that invented vaccines? No. But they, they knew what to do. And I'm not, yeah. I'm not even a vaccine guy. <laughs> but uh, they, 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 uh, uh, if you think that government knows how to solve a problem, you're really you're misimagining the nature of the world. Somebody always knows how to solve a problem. If there's, no, if there's not enough oil, somebody figures out how to, how to drill a hole in the ground and get some oil out of it. Uh, it's like, would you trust the government to do that? Yeah. No, you just can't. It's, you cannot trust the government to do anything, really. And that's why you don't want them to do anything. It's not because they're, they don't have good intentions. They always have good intentions. I, I'm a person that believes that everybody in the world has good intentions. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's why I was saying, like, the self-evident truth. Like, yeah, like, most, most people in general want good, you know. The number of what I call truly evil people that I've ever met in my life, personally, uh, is one. And I think the judgment is still out. <laughs> I, I, he must have been okay. I just couldn't figure it out. Right? But yeah, all the people I know that in personally in personal relationships are like they might be wandering around. They might be different. They might be strange. But they're 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 just trying to do the same thing I'm doing. Yeah, they're trying to have a good day. Yeah, I think it can be even argued that like people who have done bad things had good intentions at one point. You know, they're just their logic got skewed at one point, and it caused them to start doing malicious things. And and most of that stuff can be uh, pretty much uh, you can build a fence around that. It's like all men between the ages of eighteen and thirty-five. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you yeah. know, women get a free pass because they're really they're pretty good. Okay, yeah, they don't, yeah, they yeah don't, in terms of that, they yeah. don't they don't do all that stuff that the men do. And the men, they after they're thirty-five, you know, they their brain has finally reached a full full maturity, and they're like, oh man, all that crazy stuff I did when I was young. It's like, yep, you sure did. Uh, but that's just the point. It's like we know this. This is not. I'm not making things up. We know who does all the bad stuff. It's men between the ages of 18 and 35. Yeah. So maybe we should figure out something different than, than taking them when they're 18 and throwing them in prison and saying you can't get out until you're 50. Maybe we need to think, rethink this. You know, in Norway. Somebody was telling me the prisons in Norway look like a college dorm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the prisons in America they, they look like the gulag. Yeah. I, I mean, it's just unbelievable. We think. We, we we throw this eighteen year old who let's just say you know like he he might have had a gun he might have, he might have fired a couple of shots and stuff he might have even killed somebody, but to, to say that this guy now uh, deserves to to live in the gulag for the rest of his life because he, he, he's done something that's so bad he'll never learn he'll never be a good person nothing good will ever come out of it we're gonna lock him up throw away the key uh, and you know that's just bizarre okay that's a bizarre twentieth century American uh, fantasy. It has nothing whatsoever to do with reality because the reality is that when an 18-year-old does something wrong, what we really want to do is we want to minimize what 18-year-olds do. We, we need a creative outlet for, for boys between the ages of 18 and 35, and we need to minimize that. And you can minimize that with good government, and the best way to do it is to leave them alone and punish lightly by the community. We we punish by the we punish criminals by Washington D.C. standards, or by Des Moines, Iowa standards. We don't punish people by community standards, and this is why we need to bring back the jury trial. Mm. You know, we've completely gone away from it. In the, in the founders' ideas, everybody that got accused of a crime had a jury. 
of, of your 12 peers, right? And your punishment was determined by what the, your peers, the people that are just like you, think is the right thing to do. And that's not a, the way it works anymore. Now we, we don't have very many jury trials at all. Uh, mostly it's plea bargaining. Uh, prosecutors are, are good and vicious. Uh, we, we run up an, just an insane bill with our penitentiaries and our reformatories and our uh, correctional houses. Uh, we have more people in prison than anywhere else in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's not cheap. It costs us an arm and a leg. And there's so many people that are in prison that long since they, they, they wouldn't have committed a crime if you'd let them out 30 days later. You know, imagine this. Somebody that sold a little bit of cocaine, cocaine to somebody, right? Like a friend. Don't mm -hmm. forget, if you share some cocaine with your friend, no. you are now a dealer. Mm -hmm. so I yeah. like, Whoa, I thought I was just sharing some cocaine. Uh, okay, just clear for the record, right? It's like I have done some cocaine in my life and not very much. I wish I could have done a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just joking. It's it's just not my drug, you know? It's not yeah, something I, that, I've never partaken personally. Yeah, I'm not interested. No, I, no it's, it's like it's, it's, not, it's not something that is like, uh, connected with my personality yeah. liquor is yeah, okay yeah. yeah no i prefer a little bit of uh, uh of, of legal liquor for a very simple reason it makes me more sociable uh, i know that it looks like I, maybe i'm sociable now because i'm sort of gregarious i'm on the radio i'm talking yeah. to my new friend uh but <laughs> but actually uh you know in a lot of cases when i'm with strangers i i, I just clam up i shut up yeah. and put my hands in my way. pockets yeah. so you know a beer or two or a gin and tonic or two it, it lightens me up i become uh, i become more sociable that's my drug but uh, you know, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't throw me in prison because I shared a, a six pack with a friend, and I don't know why you'd throw somebody in prison if they they shared a gram of cocaine with their friend. But that that makes them a dealer, and if they got arrested and they got caught with that, and the friend testified against them because somebody's got to go down, uh, then um, you know they could have been in for they could have been in for ten years. That's that's the American sense of justice. That's just crazy. You know, if, yeah. if if it's a bad thing, if cocaine is bad and you shouldn't give it to your friends, okay. And you did, then it's like, well, you know, why don't you spend six days in the slammer and think about this? And by the way, we're not going to give you any good food. <laughs> but that's the that's a relative punishment to what yeah. to the crime. Yeah. But in America, you're gonna you can spend literally ten years in prison uh, if you did what I just talked about. Yeah, it's bizarre. It's it bizarre. it's so out of the realm of reality that I live in that I don't even know what to do about it. Uh, but you know, there's a lot of people out there besides me, and they get to vote, and, and the people that the uh, they vote for get to make the rules, and then, then, like I said, then everybody's unhappy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think the people that think like that, um, I mean, like including like citizens, like I think it's just because they're removed from that. They were removed from the idea of like someone doing cocaine. Like to them, that's like such an you know outwardly thing. Like oh, they need to be away from maybe they need to be in a cell, you know. And yeah, no, I. You know, it, that's one of the biggest reasons why I'm a libertarian. Like, all drugs should be legalized, 110. Um, percent It's 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 awful. I mean, in terms of like, you know, things in the law that are you know truly racist, like the war on drugs is one of the yep, ones. There you, you go. Know, that's a good one. <laughs> one of the big ones. Yeah. That like you, and that's the thing. Like these uh, these politicians that are, you know um, you know represent these minority groups. None of them end the war on drugs ever. <laughs> they don't even try. You know. Have you ever noticed that every uh, U.S. president, after they are not president anymore, magically discovers that the war on drugs was a bad idea? 
there's something magic happens when you're not the president anymore and you're smart enough uh, you you must gain like what 20 iq points <laughs> after the president just, not before yeah just by leaving after. the office because i'm pretty sure that even a person with 20 fewer iq IQ points could figure out that the war on drugs is a bad idea, but you're the president. You don't figure it out until you're out of office. It's just phenomenal. <laughs> it, it, people don't notice that. Yeah, yeah. The, there's a lot of hypocrisy. <laughs> in all that? That. I bet you Putin, after he gets kicked out of office, is going to go. And they shouldn't have had the war on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> the communism wasn't a good idea. <laughs> I was, I'm not a real communist. <laughs> I have I have $200 billion in gold. <laughs> um, I want to ask you a fun little question. Uh, in, in your experience, what is the worst case you've ever heard for authoritarianism? Uh, the worst case I've ever heard for authoritarianism? Yeah. You mean a justification for yeah, it? Yeah, argument justification. Well... I, you know, I'm gonna. First of all, I'm gonna confess. I I don't really listen to anybody that says that, so I don't know what okay. they, I don't know what they said. But <laughs> well, just no, no, I haven't got an answer. Uh, uh, yeah, usually what it is is this: um, they're being authoritarian because it's good for you. Yeah, uh, it's it's this funny thing. Uh, they, they and they're very frequently they're um, they're they're well intentioned. They're, they're being yeah, honest. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're, they're not they're not trying to be an authoritarian because. Because they're dishonest, they're they're authoritarian. Because they literally believe that they know better than you mm-hmm. what would be good for you, and they they think that they're they're so convinced of their own value system and their own awareness of reality that they're willing to inflict it on you with force. But they're genuine. They're very genuine. Mm-hmm. They really honestly believe in something that is worth forcing you to do because you'll be so much happier if you do what I think you should do. And that's, that goes to, to just, about, just about everything. I mean, you know, Putin says that the Ukrainians will be happier if he you know, kills half of them and then rules the other half. And, and he probably does believe that the Ukrainians will be better off. That's what's amazing. He's not just a crazy loon he's just wrong and it's the same the same sense with everyone else um you should i'll go away from drugs okay because it's so easy to get there because it's such an obvious yeah you should go to college you should go to college because everything will be better for you if you go to college in fact it's so important that you go to college that we should force this guy to pay for it so you can go for free because there should be nothing standing in the way of you in college that's just an authoritarian thought. Yeah, it's fine. Give people advice. I give all my kids advice. You should go to college, and half of them listen. But I didn't like force them to go to college. I gave them opportunities to go to college. Yeah, and and, and uh, you know, it turned out that for half of them that was a bad idea. Um, but it's the same. It's like that authoritarian instinct. We have it for our children. You know, we are always trying to like force our children to do things, and when they're young, uh, it's not that hard because children are pretty gullible. <laughs> 
Well, you know, it's like, uh, you know, you can't leave the table until you finish your breakfast or something like that. And they're going, oh, really? Okay, I'll finish my breakfast. Yeah. Uh, and then as as they get older, you discover that um, it's harder and harder to get them to do things that they don't want to do. I love what Henry Ford said one time. He said, if you want your children to do what you want them, oh, wait a second, I might get this wrong. <laughs> if, if you, uh, yeah, if you want your children to do uh, something uh, that you want them to do, uh, tell them to do what they want to do. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's um, good yeah. Uh, so as they get older, and then you know, I mean, this is life. We, we we go through stages, right? And there's that that young age, and then there's that stage of being an adolescent uh, and going through puberty and, and being rebellious and and wanting to expand the boundaries and and have our own personal freedom again and struggling against our parents and. Uh, it, it's 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 hard, especially in this society where uh, there are so many influences other than the parental influences to be had. Um, but um, uh, we're all authoritarians at heart because if we're parents, or if I had a brother or a sister, you know, I always wanted my brother and my sister to do what I told them to do. Mm, yeah, <laughs> not what they wanted to do. Uh, and then when we when we get into this idea that uh, the majority rules, 50% plus one gets to tell the minority what to do, then the authoritarianism really jumps out because uh, we feel justified in telling half the, the world what, what they should do even though they don't want to do it. Um, I, I'm not a big fan of uh, majority rule. I, it wouldn't bother me if every single law had to have, I don't know, 80% before it could pass. Mm. Because then at least you're close to a consensus if 80% of the population um, is, or let's say 80% of Congress thinks that we should do this, uh, you're not. it's not a full consensus, but you're close, right? You're getting to mm. the point where um, you've convinced 80% of the people. They, they, sometimes they'll still make mistakes. But when you only need 50% plus one to, to pass a law, you get just an amazing pile of crap laws. <laughs> I, you know, just thousands and thousands of pages. You know how many pages of brand new Iowa code the Iowa legislature adds every year on average? Uh, I can imagine it's it's astronomical. It's, it's, it's 163 pages. Damn. And now if you've ever read the Iowa code, and, you know, I used to be a police officer, so I had to read the Iowa code, and I'm quite familiar with it. When I was a police officer, it was this thick, right? It was like four inches thick, the Iowa code, one yeah. book. Mm-hmm. And now it's <laughs> this big. No, I just an easy question: is Is everybody in Iowa happier now? Yeah, <laughs> because that's isn't that what life is about? It's about enjoying life, personal mm-hmm. fulfillment. Yeah, it should be. Are yeah. we are we that much better? Because I don't see it. I I I, I look backwards, and, and I'm pretty sure that the the people that I was a police officer with were um, pretty happy back then. You know, they were yeah. they, they were living yeah they were living pretty fulfilling lives, and I was too. And I think that the police officers up here today are also living pretty fulfilling lives, and I am too. So what's the use of the extra, what is that, extra two feet of laws? How did they, how did they make us better off? It didn't. You know, people like to say, well, but yeah, but life is so much more complicated today. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm going to say this on the air, but F you. <laughs> life is not complicated. The law is what's complicated. Yeah. Most of us are doing exactly the same thing today as we were 10 years ago, 20 years ago, for me, 60 years ago. You know, I, I mean, we get up in the morning, we brush our teeth, we comb our hair, and, and uh, uh, we, we try to have a good day. 
and we do it in various ways. We, we go to work, we, we, we spend money, we, we cook meals, we eat together, we talk to our friends, uh, we read books, we read magazines, we watch a little bit of TV, we go to the movies. I mean, we're just doing exactly the same thing that everybody did when I was 10 years old. But the government is like insisting that they can make our lives better every year by adding 163 pages of laws. That's bizarre. That's there's just un, it's inconceivable that that a rational person would think that unless we are really better off, we don't need any of those laws. And that's a little bit of the essence of libertarianism. We didn't make things better with these laws. We just made them better for a few people mm-hmm. and, and slightly worse for others. Okay, I can't feel the pain of subsidizing corn farmers in Iowa. It costs me some money. I still do pay. I still pay taxes, even though I, I mostly just collect years. But, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, there's some pain in in, the, in subsidizing corn farmers. I don't know what it is. They don't send it to me on my bill. You know, my taxes don't say and you know throw in an extra four dollars to subsidize corn farmers. They just give me one big tax bill. Uh, but but they give me that tax bill. It's not just corn farmers. There's thousands of of, of uh, instances of that uh, that are in. It, well, there, there's more than thousands. There's in Iowa. There's 163 new pages of that every year, where they're telling you what you can do. They're telling you what you can't do. They're giving you a tax break here. They're giving you an extra tax there, uh, and we've just created a, a government which is so complicated that um, literally no one understands it. So, yeah. Yeah. Even the lawyers don't understand it. They only <laughs> well they they only study a special little section of the law. Hmm. A lawyer has to specialize. No, nobody can actually know the whole thing. It's, every time you get a law like that, thousand page or two thousand page, everything's a thousand or two thousand pages anymore. But uh, what that means is that uh, nobody actually understands the whole thing. Nobody, because it's too big. Uh, it's it's fine print. You have to understand every other law in order. To, so people just specialize in like, okay, I know what this section is. I know what this section is. I know what this section is. Uh, and then they make a living interpreting that, and, and, and uh, um, when you add the whole thing up, it's a disaster. And it really is a disaster. Okay? Yeah, yeah. Now, what's amazing is not that um, government has not done well for us. What's amazing is that people do so well in spite of government. I mean, government has taken 35% of your paycheck, and you're still managing to do okay. You still, you probably have a good day just about every single day, yeah. and I, and I have a good day every single day too. So it's amazing that the government hasn't actually ruined our lives. They've made us miserable when we think about government. Yeah, but they haven't actually ruined our lives, and it, that's just because human beings are, are naturally able to navigate in, in treacherous territories and and, and find personal fulfillment. Uh, it's I, I find it absolutely remarkable, but uh, I find government absolutely despicable. Uh, they just don't do things that are, are good for everybody. They do things that are good for somebody and then bad for the rest of us. Yeah. It, you know, I think that's like a thing like when people are turned off by libertarianism and they, you know, support government, they 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 view like your objection to government as such a bad thing. Um, but it's just because like I just think they have a hard time seeing it the way that, you know, libertarian see is like this. It's even worse when it's a force that is appearing to be good and it's not it's the complete opposite um i interviewed mira mateka i think that's her last time I pronounced her last name um about a year ago and she said that um when you know she was involved in government they would literally just um you know say you know out up front like we're doing this for the tax revenue 
like these, you know, these things that, you know, quote unquote, help poor people. I mean, it's so blatantly in the face of, <clears throat> you know, the people who are looking, the seeing, and then it just seems like there's so many people who just are not. So I, I don't know. I mean, I guess let me ask you this. What's your, I mean, I know a lot of libertarians have a very positive outlook, but like, I guess what, what do you, what's your outlook on libertarianism and where we're heading in terms of all this? Well, I think everyone is a libertarian at heart. They just don't understand it. Um, unfortunately, libertarians are very bad politicians. <laughs> um, and if you're a bad politician, then you're most of the time you're going to get beaten by the good politicians. And the good politicians uh, have mastered the art of the game. Uh, politics is a business. It's, it's not a hobby. It's not uh, something that... Uh, it, it's just a business, okay? A church is a business, Okay, a church has uh, something that they'd like to do, and they need money to do it, and they need customers too. That's, mm -hmm. So everything is a business. Okay, yeah. it's not. It's not a. I, I think it's wonderful. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not trying to slam churches. I'm just trying to, to. The reality is that politics is a business. It's the business of winning elections, no. and it's the business of winning elections in America with a, a, a plurality or a majority of the votes. So uh, Voltaire was right. It, it's the art of government is taking as much money as possible away from one group and giving it to the other group, and that's what politics is. Uh, but you don't get to do that unless you win. So winning elections is the business of politics. Uh, and, uh, you know, Walmart doesn't try and sell to everybody. They understand that there are people that are not their customer base. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, anybody who is a target customer, for instance. Um, you know, I mean, there's just all kinds of people that go, I will never shop at Walmart. Walmart understands this. But they also understand that they have, <clears throat> excuse me, they also understand that they have customers and they try and make every one of those customers happy. They don't just try and make the first half of the customers happy. <laughs> Everybody that walks in that door, Walmart wants them to, to leave with, with a purchase. Okay, Government doesn't care that way. They only have to get 50% plus one. And they have discovered, politics have discovered, politicians have discovered that um, you, can, you can win more elections with fear than you can with love. Mm -hmm. Love might be a strong word, but uh, fear is a very clear word. Politicians get more votes if they scare people because fear is the greatest human motivator. So yeah. they've given up <clears throat> trying to um, entice you with a carrot and they just want to scare you with a stick. And um, I, it, the, one of the ways that I describe this to people, <clears throat> excuse me, I need to, <laughs> I need to, do, I need to do, some, <laughs> do some liquid here. You know, um, two years ago when I ran for U.S. Senate, I, um, I just collected all the big postcards, the colorful postcards that I received from the, my two opponents, Joni Ernst and Teresa Greenfield. Uh, and at the end of the year, you know, I'm, I'm just cleaning out all this stuff so I can uh, clean up. And uh, I took all those postcards. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I divided them up into, um, like, these are the ones that Teresa sent me and these are the ones that Joni sent me. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I divided them up into the ones that Teresa sent that were um, pro-Teresa and the ones that were anti-Joni. And I did the same thing with Joni's, pro-Joni and anti-Teresa. <laughs> Uh, and the ratio was um, about, uh, for Teresa, if I remember correctly, it was she sent out two um, pro-Teresa postcards and 17 anti-Jonis. 
And and Joni's uh, were slightly worse. She sent out two pro Joni and, and eighteen anti Teresa. That you don't really need to know anything else other than that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's all you need to know is that that uh, they're using fear because it's a greater motivator to win elections. And I'm sorry, but I'm not afraid of anybody. I'm not afraid of Joni. I'm not afraid of Teresa. I'm not afraid of Joe Biden. I'm not afraid of. Uh, what was that guy's name? Trump. Yeah, Donald yeah, Trump. Donald Trump. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just not afraid of them. And I, I refuse to participate in the, the get somebody to vote for you by, by scaring them, uh, by making them fearful of the, the world if you don't vote for me. Um, but that's, that's the art of politics right now. That's exactly what's happening with all of the, the increase in, in, in everything, in communications, in, in computing power, in um, analyze, analyzing uh, how voters react in, in uh, artificial intelligence. They've really re- refined it to a, a, a remarkable degree. It's a fine art of, of winning, uh, and it involves a lot of hate. And that's why we have so much hate now, is that politicians have figured out that's the best way to get elected. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah, it's um, a strange world. Uh, I want to end that world. I want to. I want to conquer the world with love and humor. Yeah, yeah. You know, I want. I want everybody in Iowa to say, "Well, you know, I, maybe I didn't vote for him, but uh, it would have been fun." You know? <laughs> if, if I'm going to have a beer, I want to have. A, I want to have a beer with him. Uh, and hopefully, uh, my message will get out there, and people will also say, um, "Yeah, I'm willing to take a chance with this guy." Yeah, right? yeah. I, you know, he, he might he might have ideas that I've never heard before and they might sound different and then maybe they're a little bit scary even. But, um, yeah, I, I will ride. The, I will ride with this guy. I'll get in his wagon because yeah. uh, it, it can't get any worse than it already is. <laughs> I was going to say um, we as a country have already taken a lot of chances over the last you know decade or so. So I don't think it's that far. How could it be worse? Yeah. How could how could it go worse if we had a libertarian president? I think it wouldn't go worse at all. I think I mean it'd be an interesting, good experiment. And yeah. maybe they'd be bad, right? But we've already seen bad Republican, bad Democrats. Yeah. Well, let's try a bad libertarian. Well, yeah, and I mean, I think that's the positive case for libertarianism is it is really hard to imagine. Uh, it is really hard to imagine getting much worse with a bad libertarian candidate. You know, candidate. You're right, um, Rick. We've been talking for a minute here, uh, running out of time, but. Uh, I want uh, just wanted to ask you, where can you know? How can people get involved? Uh, you are running for, like I said previously, you're running for governor for um, Iowa coming up in November. You have my vote. Well, thank um, you very much. Um, yeah. Well, what do you want people to know before we wrap up here? Well, the easy way is just to go to rickstewart.com. Um, if you forget that, then you don't know my name. <laughs> Uh, then don't vote. <laughs> but but if, if, you, if you did know my name and you still forgot that because somewhere or another you failed to join the 20th century, um, you can just Google. I guess uh, if you know where rickstewart.com is, you probably know how to Google too. But uh, if you just Google Rick Stewart, Iowa sheriff, um, you'll find all kinds of stuff out about me that uh, will be either entertaining or infuriating. Infuriating. I don't know which one. I, I think you'll have a good time at, on that. Um, of course, you know, politics is really, uh, it's, it's two things, okay? There's only two things I should be doing. I should be asking you for your vote, and I should be asking you for your money. So I'm going to ask your, your listeners for their vote, and I'm going to ask them for their money, because the more money we have, the more we can spread the word. Uh, it's as simple as that. And so if you can throw $5 into the pot, that will be spent very wisely. I guarantee none of it will be wasted uh, in any way, shape, or form. Uh, there's not going to be anybody uh, sitting easy and smoking cigars because you contributed to this cause. Um, I'm putting uh, my own money, a fair amount of it, into it. Uh, but 
honestly, my opponents already have. Well, let's just say this: uh, my opponent on the on the right, the Republican, is uh, sitting on five million dollars. Damn, I didn't know that. Yeah, and in the last election, uh, she spent twenty. In the last election, the Democrats spent twenty million. Wow. Uh, this year, the Democrat probably won't get anywhere close to that, and, yeah. and, and the Republican probably won't have to spend that much. But uh, to be uh, to be perfectly honest, uh, libertarian candidates traditionally don't raise a lot of money, and I think it's because they don't ask. So we need to ask, and people need to put a, put money in the pot too. It's a little bit like the Bernie thing. Um, you don't have to put a lot in, but a lot of you have to put something in. Mm. So uh, put some money in the pot. You can donate on the website. Uh, and put some money in the pot and think about a recurring uh, donation because this is the kind of stuff that allows us to plan for the next eight months of campaigning. And uh, what we'd really like to do is we'd like to spend some money. We'd like to spend some money on some social media and on some TV ads. Uh, I guarantee you one thing. You're not going to get any negative ads from me. You're not going to get any, in any way, shape, or form, you're not going to get any negative ads. I'm just not in the business of trying to convince you to be afraid uh, because I don't want you to be afraid. I want you to be confident and, and assured and happy. Um, but money does count. So don't, don't, uh, don't think somebody else is going to put the money in. People yeah. have to, you, have to, you have to throw some money in the pot, so do that. Just make sure if you donate to him, you donate twice as much to the podcast. <laughs> and you should donate to the podcast too. and the podcast That's, yeah. no I, I totally agree I think it's I think it's better if you take your money and divide it up into all the people that are doing good things than if you try and bet on which one of those good things is going to work because we don't know what's going to work yeah. right and and it's it's wiser to like spread the money around and we all are, have, we all have limited funds don't don't be embarrassed to like throw a dollar into this campaign because that dollar will be spent well and I'm sure that two dollars Twice as much would be spent well by this podcast, too. Yeah, yeah. So um, if you want the world to be a different place, you're going to have to do something different, and you're also going to have to pay a little bit for it because freedom is not free. Freedom yeah. freedom has never been free. It never will be free. It has to be fought for, and, and it also it requires uh, it requires mm-hmm. money. Yeah. So maybe we can give Maybe we can give Molly a raise. Who knows? Molly uh, <laughs> looks like she deserves a big yeah. raise. So throw, throw some money in the pot. Hell yeah. Rick, this has been a pleasure. Hey, man. this has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I know I, you know, dominated the conversation the whole time. <laughs> That's totally. But the, I, I, let me explain why. Okay, every time I told a joke, you laughed at it, and you're the first person who's ever been so amicable. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I'm just joking. Um, no, it was it was a great conversation. I loved it, and uh, hopefully uh, I'll come back sometime after the after the big victory in November, yeah. and uh, we'll talk about how libertarians are actually going to govern the state of Iowa instead of just run for office. Yeah, man. Well, uh, yeah, we'll definitely love to have you back around that time, and uh, it's been it's been a pleasure. All right, thanks, man. You bet. Peace, everybody. We'll see you next time.